Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak speak of our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in the hope and the thresher should thresh in the hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body 
and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of God. So let's paint a picture. Let's paint a picture. A businessman applies for a job at a place of business, right? Whatever it is, picture the man with his suit or his briefcase in his tie. He goes in for the job interview. They're talking about qualifications. They're talking about work history. They're talking about education. They're talking about experience and skills. They get through all of this stuff in the job application. And then they have a conversation about compensation. And so the boss man at the business office is basically saying, well, according to your experience, according to your work history, according to your education, according to your XYZ, let me slip this piece of paper across the table, right? This is what we are prepared to offer you for this position. We see that a lot, right? That sounds pretty normal. Sounds pretty standard when it comes to hiring people. Is that how you hire people, Sandra? Maybe? Pretty much. Okay, let's, let's do another picture. A pastor applies for a job at a local church. Okay? Pastor applies for a job at a local church. He gets to the pulpit committee. They ask him questions about his experience, his work history, his education, his X, Y, Z, and they slip the piece of paper across the table. This is what we're prepared to offer you. What's the problem with the second scenario versus the first scenario? Right, well, yeah. We ask questions like that because the world has taught us to be very critical based on things like experience and education. All the way we hire people, right? Are they, have you heard them preach yet? What about content? What about... This and that. And those are all good questions. We need to be very, very careful when it comes to hiring pastors. But when it comes to thinking about compensation, and this is somewhat awkward timing, as I know I'm bivocational, and this is just what the Lord is doing, but this is where you go when you think about compensation for pastors, is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We don't want to think about compensation for ministry workers like we do compensation for businessmen. It's two completely different things, right? Now, of course, we need to, to keep in mind all the, the things we talked about uh, that are important, but um, the Bible is actually pretty clear about how we should think as Christians when it comes to, to material benefits for ministry Workers, I think we have two fallacies that take place when we are preaching 1 Corinthians 9 or interpreting 1 Corinthians 9. And the first one is this. Keep your preacher humble, right? Keep him poor and humble. That way he'll depend on God. Don't give him too much. He shouldn't be paid at all, maybe. Or at least uh, shouldn't be given much. That can be said of youth pastors. That can be said of what, whatever type of ministry worker, those who proclaim the gospel. And then I think we go on the other extreme 
and we say, well, according to 1 Corinthians 9, preachers need to live like kings. Preachers need to have mansions and private jets and all these other things that we see on TV, right? We don't see a lot of that in Spindale. Uh, we don't have a choice in Spindale, do we? <laughs> but we see that in other places of the world. Uh, I want to obliterate both of those two fallacies and let you just see what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. First three verses, Paul is coming off of chapter 8. We talked about like two weeks ago, I guess. Food being offered to idols, ethical dilemmas, remember? Paul, are we allowed to go and do this? I don't know if we're allowed to do this or not. Will, will you help me figure out if we're allowed to eat this food that was previous, previously used in idol worship? And he says, knowledge is important, but so is love. So even though we know this food is, is fine, it's not like it was, you know, there, there's no other actual gods. It's not like it's put under a curse by some other god. That, that's not a real thing. It's just meat. God made cows, right? It's just meat. But because of love, maybe you shouldn't eat it. You know, he says, I, in fact, I would be a vegetarian. I'd never eat meat again if I was going to cause my brother to stumble and to go into some previous lifestyle of sin. And so he begins chapter 9 sort of coming off of that, answering more questions, not so much about ethical dilemmas, but remember, we're getting through these chapters where Paul is answering all the Corinthians' questions. This question now is basically about his apostolic rights, his support when he goes to plant churches, when he goes to uh, minister to others, when he goes to proclaim the gospel uh, among them and among other parts of the world, how is he to be treated by the church? Is he to be a tent maker and work for himself? Well, he was a tent maker. He did work for himself. But this is what he says, chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? To, or if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Verse 3, this is my defense to those who would examine me. So you're examining me and trying to figure out how you should treat me as an apostle who has literally been an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus Christ. How should I be treated? Right? This is their question. How, how, how should I be examined? Well, he says, you're my workmanship. I came to Corinth. I preached the gospel to you. Just as Jesus commissioned me as his workmanship, Ephesians uh, uh, end of chapter 2, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So, so we are uh, commissioned by Christ himself to go and be his workmanship. And now he's saying, I am commissioning others to be my workmanship, just as Jesus has done me. And the fact that you have followed is the seal saying that I am an in indeed an apostle. You've listened, you've believed, and now more people are, are being saved in Corinth. This is my defense. I am free. I am free. I am not uh, a slave to you. Uh, neither am I a slave to the tent-making industry. Um, I am free to essentially do ministry uh, according to Christ and, and the best that I can. Um, maybe others don't view me as an apostle and they don't want to support me in this, in this work, uh, but here's my defense. Here's my defense. He's going to give a logical argument. He's going to give a scriptural argument. Here's his logical argument. Here's why I'm an apostle and why I should be supported when I'm going to preach and proclaim the gospel of Christ. Verse 4. 
Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? As do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Now, you know, he starts off saying, I have these certain rights given to me, inherited by Christ, just like any other man. Uh, and, and this is what we say against our, our brothers, like Joey was, was preaching uh, against last Sunday, about those who are either requiring, or require, requiring marriage or requiring abstinence from marriage in order to serve in the church in some capacity. We, we see Catholics still doing that today and many other denominations he says, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? Do we not have the right to eat and drink? The other apostles were doing it. Cephas is married. Or is it just Barnabas and I that basically have to fend for ourselves? Do we not have the right to refrain from working for a living? Maybe he's kind of singling himself out as, I'm single, so you think I don't have to be taken care of because I don't have a family, right? Maybe he's kind of doing that sort of argument Cephas and all those other apostles maybe you think it's logical for the church to take care of them because they have a family but I'm single so you don't have to take care of me right he's like hey I, I, I should be taken care of too and he gives the logical example have you ever seen somebody walking through the mall and they get to like you know the national guard sign up booth and there's a guy outside in uniform and he says hey come sign up just because you want to, you know, go overseas and might die. No, he's probably going to say, look at all these benefits. If you come and sign up as a National Guard Reserve, you know, you, you have your health insurance, you, you have all this paid leave, you have X, Y, you have all these things that can benefit you and your family. You'll be well taken care of, right? Nobody serves as a soldier as his, at his own expense. There's some personal benefit. There's some personal help, personal support to going and serving as a soldier. Along with that, you would never expect the soldier, after enlisting, to pay for his own way to get to Afghanistan, right? You wouldn't say just, okay, pay a few grand to hop on a plane and go buy your own uniform and buy your own weaponry and go buy your, all your own stuff. No, that'd be preposterous, right? He's not gonna do that at his own expense. He's enlisted to serve for the government. And who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? My grandfather, uh, not the one we've been talking about, but on my, my, my grandma's, he was my great-grandfather on my grandma's side, uh, Granddaddy Hatfield is his name. I'm from the Hatfield and McCoy line, by the way, and very pro-Hatfield, if, if you ever get caught in that. But um, <clears throat> he owned a grape vineyard, and so my earliest memories, I, I, I'm I was very young when he passed, but I remember being really young, going out to his grape vineyard and helping him pick grapes. He always, I was the best grandkid picking the grapes. All the other kids would pick the bad ones or just eat them all, right? But even I, as I was picking those grapes, I'd get to sample, right? I mean, everybody gets to sample when you're picking from the grapes. Um, would you own an apple tree in your yard and never take of the fruit after working it and planting it and letting it, you know, 
sprout up over years and years and waiting for it to be mature? Would you just never take any of the apples off of it? And so he's saying, if he plants a vineyard, he's going to eat from it too. He's not just going to work for it and, and, and not get anything out of it. And how about those who tend a flock? Are they not going to get any of the milk after tending to all the cows or the goats? Um, no, obviously he's going to take some of the milk. So this is just the logical argument. This is the way the world works. Farmers get to take of their own crops. Soldiers are taken care of because of how they've enlisted and who they're serving. And, and he said, this is basically how it should work with apostles and, and, and your, your church leaders, um, pastors, elders, overseers as well. Now, that's the logical argument. But he doesn't want just a logical argument. That's not good enough, is it? We, we talk about church. You don't want me just making logical arguments to you on Sundays, do you? No, you want me preaching the word. He says, I got the word to back this thing up. This is in the Bible. He, uh, he says, this is the scriptural argument in verse eight. Verse eight says, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses. And he quotes Deuteronomy, I think it's 25 here. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. He says, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Did God write that verse, that passage of scripture, because he really cares about the ox? Or is he saying something different? He says, verse 10, does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Do not we even more? So if you didn't understand the illustration and the law of what's going on in Deuteronomy 25, picture an ox. And he, he goes out to work, to, to tread, to, to plow, to, um, to do his, his, you know, whatever they used him for. We have tractors now, right? <laughs> But whatever they're pulling, whatever they're working for the crops, would you put a muzzle on the ox and never let him eat? If you want him to keep working and to be a good, strong animal, useful for the farm, you're probably going to feed him. It's probably going to be one of your biggest expenses on the farm is to make sure that your animals are taken care of since they're supplying your, your needs and helping the, the farm stay alive. Uh, that's, that's what he's saying. So he's saying, now, the Lord is certainly talking about us. The plowman should plow in hope. The thresher should thresh in hope that he's going to partake of some of the crops. And some folks will say, well, he just means that there's just like this spiritual reward, right? It's just that he gets to see people get saved and he gets to be in the work of ministry and, and that's satisfying and that's wonderful. But, but he says very clear in verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you as well. This is clearly talking about physical support of the apostles. Others share this claim on you, do not we even more. I was talking to um, a little country preacher uh, who started this little tiny church one day and they had you know, maybe 10, 12 members. They were just meeting in this tiny little strip mall kind of building and um, and I was just talking to him, and he knew his Bible, and he was just, you know, full of fire and passion, and so excited about the work that was going on. And and I just, and I just said, well, 
are you, are you working? And he said, not right now. I said, how are you living? What's, how are you making ends meet here? You know, is your church taking care of you? I said, and he said, well, my, uh, my motorcycle broke down the other week, and, and they helped me get it to the shop, and, and, and they even paid for the bill. Right? <laughs> and so I thought, wow, you know, they're trying, aren't they? They're trying, this little <laughs> tiny church. So um, the, the point here is that the, the overseers, the apostles, those who God has anointed and, and appointed over you to lead you, to shepherd you, to guide you, to sow spiritual seeds among you, they should be taken care of. They should be supported. Should they live lavish lives in mansions and in jets and make all these unbelievable requests? Probably not. Should they also live in absolute poverty? Oh, that would make the church look, look pretty bad, wouldn't it? So they should be taken care of. Now here's Paul basically saying, even though that's true, this is how I'm living my life. This is how the rest of the chapter, he says, even though this is the logical argument, this is the scriptural argument, I'm free, I'm an apostle, this is how I'm living my life. And this is how all pastors should seek to live their lives, as well as anybody involved in the work of ministry, church members as well. Verse 15, <clears throat> the gospel is free of charge. The gospel is free of charge. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Right? So why is he writing this? He says, I've made no use of these rights. Right? It took me nine chapters to get here. I didn't come to you saying you're going to pay me this and that in order for me to stay here and preach and, and live among you and, and plant this church. He didn't say I'm going to have all these physical and monetary requirements. I didn't make use of any of those rights. And I'm not writing this to secure more provisions when I come back. I'm not writing this so that next time I visit you, I'm going to get more dough, right? I'm going to get more uh, support. He said, I would rather die than have anybody take away my boasting. What is Paul's only boast? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Not a successful lifestyle full of great wealth and some great oratory skills that deserve compensation or uh, a master's degree in this and that or having studied here and preached for these people and done revivals and, and ha have all these other qualifications. Those are not his boasting. His boasting is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What strong language. I would rather die than somebody look at me and say, you're just in it for money. So all preachers, all ministers should think this way. Woe to me, he says, if I do not preach the gospel. That's how heavy this task is to him. Verse 17, he says, which really kind of sums up the whole, whole argument. If I, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will... I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel? So verse 17 is really, really important. It's kind of hard to understand. You might have to read it a couple times. Uh, for me, it really helped when I started looking at um, the Greek. For if I do this of my own will means 
voluntary desire. Um, and, and what's voluntary mean? Do you pay the volunteers at hospice? Do you, do you pay volunteers at church? Volunteers means I'm doing this and I'm not expecting anything out of it, right? That means if I come to you and I proclaim the gospel voluntarily, I am greatly rewarded if I come to you as a volunteer pastor, a volunteer apostle. But, but if I come to you not voluntarily, if I come to you not of my own will, if I come to you knowing that you're probably gonna pay, you're probably gonna support me, you're probably gonna make sure there's food on my table, if I come to you make, knowing that you're probably gonna make sure there's a pillow under my head at night, uh, well, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. Another word for stewardship is a responsibility. So how, how are we to look at pastors who have other jobs, who maybe pastor voluntarily? How are we to look at pastors who... Um, you know, ha have you know all their stuff taken care of by the church, right? Everything they could ever need, they 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 are fully supported, fully funded in every way by by their church. How are we to look at these two pastors? Paul says they're both great, and the church needs both. Because that guy who's voluntarily pre preaching and proclaiming, he's getting his reward, and the pastor who's being compensated. He has a great responsibility. A great stewardship has been given to him by God. Either way, both of these men, both of these individuals, these elders, these overseers, he says at the bottom of verse 18, that in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, not as, or so as not to make my full use of my right in the gospel. Either way, it needs to be made clear that regardless of what a church can afford or, or where its money is being funded or how the pastor is, is making a living, the gospel is free. Y'all start thinking that if, what I'm saying is if y'all start thinking that you have to put more money in the plate to hear me preach the gospel, you missed it and, and, and the whole church has missed it. We're, we're really missing the mark here. The gospel is free. It's free of charge. I want people to hear that the gospel is free. Christ came and gave his own life. The, the price is paid for. Jesus on the cross is the dollar amount, is the penalty, is the debt paid. The gospel is free. It's free of charge. We don't charge people for the gospel at Main Street, amen? No soul should ever be charged for the gospel. We watched that uh, documentary on Martin Luther a couple weeks ago, and uh, Demaris, I don't know if y'all heard him, he was sitting just a couple seats over from me, and they were talking about indulgences back in those days, right, in the 1500s, and how the Catholic Church was basically saying, okay, you can have your sins paid for if, you know, you... You, you come and you pay this money and, and it'll help us build our facilities and pay for salaries and do all these things. You come and, and give these indulgences and your sins can be paid for. And Demaris looked over at me and he said, they was trying to pay for their own sins? And I said, yeah, they was trying to pay for their own sins. And, and, and we are so radically against that. As Protestants, as evangelicals, we can't pay for our own sins. And you can't pay a preacher 
to, 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 to save people. The gospel is free of charge, and its only cost took place at the cross. Amen? Let's finish this thing out. Because the gospel is free of charge, I want to make sure all people hear it, and I'm going to run tirelessly knowing my purpose. My purpose ain't to make a buck. My purpose is to run, give it all I got to make sure people hear it. Verse 19, for though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So what's he saying here? If I want Jewish people to hear the gospel, I'm going to live among them. I'm going to live like I'm under the law so they have no, thrones, no stones to throw at me. And if I want Gentiles to hear the gospel, I'm going to go live among them. And I'm going to live outside of the law for, we'll explain that in a second, so they can hear the gospel. And if, if I want weak people to hear the gospel, I'm going to go become weak. I'm going to throw off all my strengths, all my, you know, well-doings. And I'm going to become like weak people so they can hear the gospel. Whoever needs to hear the gospel, that's where I'm going. And I'm going to live among them. And I'm going to do whatever it takes so they can hear the words that Jesus saves. Right? Now, I think sometimes people get this passage confused as an excuse to go and live a sinful lifestyle so that people can hear the good news of Jesus Christ, right? You know what I'm talking about? So, uh, yes, Jesus was among the, the filthy, the wretched, the prostitutes, the drunkards, the people, the, the tax collectors, people that, that we would not want to be associated with today. Jesus was doing this. He was all things to all men, all things to all people. He was, he was going out and doing this. However, Jesus was not a prostitute. <laughs> Jesus was not a drunkard. Jesus was not a tax collector. Jesus was not embracing these things, but was living among them so that they might see that he truly cares. He's going to them on their level so they can hear the gospel. I think many of us today want people to come to us and live on our level. Then we'll share the gospel with them. Come get in my comfort zone. Come live like me. Come be just like me. Then we can talk Jesus, right? But the Bible says, no, go to them. Go to the weak and be like them. And then finally, we, we run with, with purpose. Do you not know, he says, and Paul loves athletic analogies, doesn't he? Do you not know that in, all, that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. But I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Wouldn't it be funny to run a race that had no finish line? Anybody want to run a race that has no finish line? It sounds awful, doesn't it? Anybody want to sign up for a boxing match that has no opponent? 
That would look pretty silly. You ever, would you pay pay-per-view? You would do that? Would you pay pay-per-view to, to watch some guy flailing at the air? You'd say, this is hilarious, right? This guy's a joke. These folks run knowing that only one person wins, knowing that there is indeed a finish line. And these folks box knowing that only one person is going to come out not knocked out, right? And so this is how we run. Now, these folks do it for a perishable wreath. Now, the crowns in those days, as they would have competed, and the Corinthians would have known about this, like we've talked about, they had those, those big um, auditoriums that they would go and watch people make fools of themselves, but whoever the winner was would get a crown made of the leaves, right? What are they called? Um, the leaf crowns, wreaths. And, and, of course, it would grow old and die eventually. The leaves would, would fade and crumble and be gone. But we compete for an imperishable crown. We run. We go. We endure. We, we know that we're not going to get much material-wise, even if we do deserve it in preaching the gospel in this life. Our greater reward is what's coming after this life. That's what we long for. That's our hope is that imperishable crown that never fades. So Paul says, I'm not running aimlessly. I know there's a finish line. Paul says, I'm not boxing as one who beats the air. I'm beaten up <laughs> for the sake of the gospel. He says, if, if I were to forget this, if I were to discipline my body and keep it under control and, and, and yet uh, for, forget the purpose of, of why I'm doing this and what my great reward is, I myself should be disqualified. So let's think about you guys. Are you learning to sacrifice your rights for the sake of the gospel? As I said back in chapter eight, we love our rights as Americans. But before we're Americans, we're Christians. The Bible says it's often good to give up your rights so that other people can hear the gospel. How about this one? Are you putting obstacles in the way of the gospel or ministry or discipleship. We've been talking about discipleship, right? Paul says, I don't want to put any obstacles like, you know, y'all ain't going to take care of me, so I'm not going to co-preach to you and help your church thrive. In the same way, he says, I'm not putting any obstacles. Are we putting any obstacles in the way of the ministry? What are we unwilling to move out of the way so that we can disciple others in the faith, so that we can go and preach the gospel to the lost? What are we unwilling to move so that that can happen? How about this? Do you consider lost people hearing the gospel as one of the greatest rewards of your life in ministry? Now, the world teaches us that the great rewards of life in ministry are living long, having lots of grandkids, maybe, maybe a good retirement. These are our rewards for living a good life, working hard. Paul says the greatest reward he can possibly think of is lost people hearing the good news of Jesus. And that is what's going to get him an imperishable crown. Let's learn to balance and leverage these things right. What are you doing to win more for the sake of the gospel? What are you doing that God might save some? Who are you becoming like that they might hear the good news? Hopefully you have names. You have people who, who, who you can 
can, can see in your life that, that you haven't made strides to go and identify with and seek to know them and, and their lives and, and what they're going through so that they can hear the good news. Are you running aimlessly? Are you beating the air? Or are you disciplining yourself, anticipating a great and imperishable reward? I hope you think about these questions this week. I hope you think about these questions tomorrow um, as you start your Monday. Um, and, and maybe you have a better interpretation now of 1 Corinthians 9 and how to handle compensation in the church. We don't want to uh, handle these situations like a businessman going in for a job interview. But the Bible says, do all you can to support those who are preaching the gospel. Like the ox gets to eat and the farmer gets to, to take of the crops, he says it's good for those to make their living by the gospel. But whether we preach voluntarily or whether we preach um, involuntarily as workers, the greatest reward is what's coming. Seeing those become saved and those two inheriting that same great crown, uh, that imperishable crown that will remain forever in heaven. Any thoughts? Any questions? I hope you know that this is really all about the gospel. Like if you go, I, I should have counted it up. Chapter 9, I feel like Paul says the word gospel in every other sentence. This is not about him. This is not about people. This is about the gospel getting out, right? Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.